we are in our discipleship series. For those of you that are just joining us, or uh, more, that is, for those of you who have been here, and I want to recap with you now, the point of what we're going through in this discipleship series is that we both want to be disciples of Christ, and we want to make disciples of Christ. And if you you boil Christianity down to its, its smallest parts, I think this is what it's about. It's about us following Christ, and it's about us helping others follow Christ. And it's about every Christian doing that for the glory of God. So this series, we've got ten lessons. After we did the introduction, we have ten lessons. We're on lesson number three today, which is going to be a lesson on prayer. And by the way, like I have for all the lessons on the back table, there's a a stack of, of lessons there accompanying study guides. Some of you are going through these with another person. Some of you maybe aren't doing that yet, but you can still pick up one of those study guides. You can go through it at home with your kids, or with your spouse, or with a friend. But the point of this is that we will grow more if we interact with this material. Uh, not just here on Sunday morning, but actually throughout our days. And, and the, one of the things about this discipleship series, my heart behind it, is that these are ten lessons that I feel like we really need to know. That I feel like will really help us in our walk with God. We need to embrace these lessons and we need to know them so well that we can pass them on to others also. So I, I hope you're seeing that this series is not just a couple of lessons strewn together. It's what our church has come together and said, this is important. This is what we must know about following Christ. And like it says in our vision statement, we are commissioned to pass these things on, commissioned to make him known. So today, we're going through a lesson on prayer. How do you do at prayer? What does your daily prayer life look like? If it were to be typed out and, and handed into the pastor for me to, to grade, what would your prayer life show up as? Now, I realize those questions can be uncomfortable because so many Christians, I think, feel inadequate in their prayer lives. Now, there could be a good reason for that. It could be because our prayer lives are inadequate. But I also think that we need to see what God says about prayer. Uh, The reason that we're doing this lesson on prayer today is in part because so many of us feel inadequate, but more so because I want to see what the teaching is. I want to see what it is that our Lord expects of us. I, you know, I don't care to live up to someone else's expectations of what my prayer life is supposed to be. I want to see what Jesus says my prayer life is supposed to be. So as we go through this teaching today, I hope it can serve for you as a reminder of what Jesus says so that we can shape our prayer lives according to what he asks us to do. Jesus considered prayer a vitally important part of his life. Try it. Read through the Gospels and notice how often Jesus prays how many times he teaches his disciples how to pray. It makes sense then, if we are going to follow Christ, that we should have the same attitude towards prayer that Jesus does, both in our own personal life, and you think about that, Jesus is God. And, and we might have said, oh, he doesn't need to pray, he, he's God, he, he can just talk to himself if he wants to. But look at how important prayer was to Jesus. So as we model our lives after him, we should have that same view of how important prayer is. And then also we should model Jesus' teaching on prayer. As he taught others, 
so also we should teach others about prayer. Now, I know what happens as we consider prayer. In theory, we say that prayer is a really great idea and that we should be all about prayer. But in reality, things get in the way, right? Am I, am I preaching to the choir here? And I, you know, I know this about you all because I know this about me, that, that things get in the way of our prayer life. We, we can have doubts or questions about how important it is or whether God even hears. I, I thought about that. What are some things that can get in the way of our prayer life? I came up with a list of questions. First one, does God really exist? I mean, maybe, maybe you struggle with that question and, you, and you're thinking to, to yourself, am I even praying to anybody? Or is it just the ceiling? Or maybe you have the question, does God actually hear and care about my prayer? Maybe you have this view of God where oh, he's got lots of other more important things to do. Why would he want to hear from little old me? Or another question, if God already knows everything, why should I pray? I heard one Christian who actually had that mindset that, well, since he knows, I actually don't need to pray. It's the wrong view. And then finally, does God really answer prayers? Is it going to be worth my time to pray to God because is he actually going to answer me? Or do my prayers just bounce back off the ceiling? These or other questions can hinder our prayer lives. They can cause us that even though we might say, yes, prayer is vitally important, in reality, it can hinder our prayer lives. And we can start, maybe unintentionally or subconsciously, we can start to make prayer less and less and less a part of our lives until it's just on the fringes until maybe we just do it at mealtimes or at church. So what I want to do today is I want to walk through some teachings on prayer. I want to show you why it's so valuable, and I want to give you some tips on how we can do it right. We're going to look at Matthew 6, 5 through 15. And I'm going to read the passage now, and when I get to each of the individual points, I want to reread the scripture. And again, the reason that we do that is to reinforce scripture in our own minds, to make sure that, that the Bible is center stage of what we do here. In Matthew 6, 5 through 15, this is Jesus' teaching in the Sermon on the Mount, right in the middle of it. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by men. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. What I want to do now, I want to look at this section of Scripture in four parts. I have four teachings on prayer here. And at the end, I'm going to give my big idea as well as my conclusion. The first part, and this is in your bulletin, prayer is between us and God. 
Prayer is between us and God. And I want to reread verses 5 and 6. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by men. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. It's human nature to want to look good in the eyes of other people. And sometimes that comes out in our prayers. Maybe you've noticed this in yourself, or maybe you've uh, judged others in this, but sometimes we get really concerned about our prayers sounding flowery, or, or sounding really good so that other people will know how spiritual we are. And, and I think this is probably something that we all struggle with. But we need to realize that our audience in prayer is God. Other people's thoughts about us should be the furthest thing from our minds when we're praying because we should be thinking about God. There's a word for people who try to impress other people in prayer. Hypocrites. That's the word used in Scripture here. The word is used of someone who pretends to be someone they're not. So think about it. If we're praying and we're pretending to talk to God but really we're thinking about what other people are thinking about us, that's a hypocritical thing for us to do. And we must not be like the hypocrites, it says here. Now, believe me, I understand the temptation to this. I understand that when you're in a group of people and you're praying, it's really hard not to think about what they're thinking about you. Or maybe some of you are intimidated to pray in front of other people. And, And for lots of Christians, that just leads them to not pray in front of other people. Well, that's not a a good solution either. Whether we're trying to impress them or scared of what they think about us, we should not be thinking about what other people think of us. We should be praying to God. So one of Jesus' teachings about prayer is that we should do it in secret as a way to train ourselves how to do it right. Now, just a quick note before I describe this. Jesus isn't condemning public prayer here. He's not saying you should never pray around other people. We know that for at least two reasons. One, Jesus prayed in front of other people. And two, Jesus taught us how to pray together. If you you read the Lord's Prayer, you see the plurals in there. Our Father. He taught us to pray together. So public prayer is okay, but it should only be done with an attitude of meeting with God. And an attitude of meeting with God is fostered in secret prayer. That's why Jesus' teaching here is go to your room, close the door, and talk to God. Because as you do that, you strengthen your faith. Think about it this way. If you're going to go into your room in private and pray to God, you better believe that He exists. Otherwise, that's a pretty big waste of your time to go in and talk to your closet door. So His teaching here is go by yourself. Because God sees what's going on there. You don't have to worry about what other people think of you there. You simply go and talk to God there. He sees and he will reward. In fact, doing things secretly is mentioned three times in Matthew 6 as a way of honoring God. If you look right before this passage, it talks about giving to the needy and it says your giving to the needy should be done in secret. And then just after our passage, it talks about fasting and it says our fasting should be done in secret. We honor God with our secret prayer lives. And I was thinking about that. There are, there are parts of my walk with God that not even my wife knows about. And, and it's supposed to be that way. It's not that it's just us and God. It's not that we should pretend that our walk with God is 
only about me and God because we are supposed to have fellowship with each other. There's lots of things we're to do together. But this one part here, the, talking about prayer, is something that we are to be doing in secret and nobody else needs to know about it. And our faith is strengthened as we meet with God in that way. Because again, God who sees what is done in secret will reward us. Those hypocrites, they've already gotten their reward. Their reward is what other people think about them. And, and God says, that's it. That's all you're getting from your prayers. What a horrible reward, I think. <laughs> it's just not worth it. Not at all worth it. But God says there is a reward for those who pray in secret. What is that reward? Well, I would say that first and foremost, it's a stronger walk with God. As our soul connects with God in secret, He strengthens us. We gain assurance of, of who He is. We see Him working in our lives. Now, I don't know about you, but that's what I want in my life. I want that reward. So it reminds me of the importance of setting aside time to go and talk to God in secret where nobody else sees. And by the way, as we do that sort of prayer, it teaches us how to pray so that when we're praying with other people, those prayers will simply be an overflow of our heart and we can talk to God in front of other people too, not caring about what they think of us. So just like I did last week now for each of these teachings, I have four today, I, I want to end with an application on each section. So questions here. How is your private prayer life? Do you seek God? Do you make time to be just with Him and you? Praying in secret is one of the ways that we can make sure that we have the right motives in prayer. There really is no other motive in prayer when you're in secret other than wanting to be with God. And as we do that, we foster an attitude of meeting with God and our prayers with other people will be pleasing as well. So I encourage you to be making time to be praying in secret to your Father. Okay, let's move on to point number two. Prayer is not about impressing God with your words. It's not about impressing other people with your words, but now we learn it's not about impressing God with your words. Verses 7 and 8. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans. And it doesn't say pastors there, by the way. Don't keep on babbling like pastors. It says pagans. Don't keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. The hypocrites in verse 5 set a bad example in prayer. And now it's the pagans in verse 7 who set a bad example in their babbling. And, and by the way, we don't know for sure what this word babbling means. Maybe you're familiar with the King James Version translation of it, which says vain repetitions. I think that's actually a really helpful translation. In there it says, um, I, I forget exactly how it's quoted, but it says, vain repetitions are not to be part of our prayer. That's where we just go before God and our, our minds aren't involved in it, our hearts aren't involved in it. We're just kind of mumbling things or we're repeating things that we've heard before, but we're not really meeting with God. And we're not supposed to do that. Now, like I said, we don't know exactly what that word babbling means, but what we do know exactly is what the word many words means in verse 7 there. It says, they think they'll be heard because of their many words. And by the way, that's just a, a helpful tip for understanding scripture if you don't know one part of it look at the context around it and sometimes it explains it so we don't know exactly what babbling means but we know 
what many words means. It means don't run off at your mouth and just assume that God will hear you because you're using a lot of words. We don't earn God's favor by adding words upon words. Prayer isn't about magical chants or secret codes. Prayer is about our heart connecting with God's heart and sometimes our words actually get in the way. I was going through this lesson with the, the students in the junior high Sunday school class and, and one of the applications of this for me was that some of my prayers have actually become shorter in an, in an effort for me to make sure that my heart is connecting with God I've actually cut out some of my words because we don't impress God with long prayers now a side note here sometimes praying for a long time is a really good thing to do Jesus modeled that for us it's you read scripture again and you see Jesus going off by himself. One time it says he prayed all night. So if our hearts are right, sometimes praying for a long time is actually a really good thing to do. The caution here isn't about how long we pray. The caution here is about meaning what we're praying. We don't go on babbling or with vain repetitions. We don't assume that we impress God with our words. We come before him with humble hearts and talk to him from our hearts. And think about it. Why would God want to hear us babble anyways? Babbling is cute for babies. Anna was doing it the other day. It's cute for babies, not for us who have grown up. Since God already knows what we need, we don't need to convince him or impress him or add word upon word. God hears us when we come before him with humble hearts. And one of the things that I want to teach you not just in this lesson about prayer, but in all these lessons, is the importance of faith and humility. I've been thinking about those two words. Faith, if we don't have faith, we don't have a relationship with God. Faith is the beginning point and it's how we continue. But also humility, I think, is so important. Humility is us coming before God and saying, okay, God, your way. I need you. I can't do this on my own. And prayer fosters an attitude of humility. Prayer is one of the best ways that we can learn humility, I think. Reminds us that we're not God, that we're not in control, and that we need to seek Him and His ways. Okay. I want to clarify one thing right now, though. Um, the question is, why should we pray if God already knows what we need? We understand that prayer is important, but yet there's this question. If God already knows everything, he's omniscient, he knows our thoughts, he knows the words before it's on our tongue, why do we pray? Well, the point of prayer isn't to convince God that we need something. It's not like we're going to God and telling him something he doesn't know. It's not like he doesn't know the desires of our hearts either. The point of prayer is to spend time in God's presence. And as we do that, we gain an understanding of what he wants for us. I think that's one of the big victories in prayer, by the way, is when God changes our hearts to line up with his heart. So prayer isn't even then about us trying to change God. Sometimes God will change circumstances in our prayers. You read through the Bible and that's clear. And, and sometimes, you know, God just out of his mercy says, okay, sure, you can have that. But I think sometimes the bigger victories in prayer is when our hearts are changed. So we don't pray to impress God or to try to get Him to give us something that we don't really need. We pray to become more like Christ and to receive what God wants for us. 
came across a quote from a guy named H.H. Hobbes. I'd never heard of the guy before, but it's a good quote. He said, Prayer is not some battering ram by which we gain entrance to God's treasury. Think about that. Some people view prayer as us coming before God and saying, God, give me, give me, give me. He said, prayer is not that. He goes on to say, prayer is a receptacle by which we receive that which he already longs to give us. And I love that view of God. A father who likes to give good gifts to his children, and he releases those good gifts to him as we come before him humbly in prayer. So the application questions here, how's your heart attitude in prayer? Are you more concerned about your words or about submitting your heart to God and letting Him change you? Are your prayers empty repetitions or are they heartfelt? Okay. Moving on to our third point here. And this is the section where we'll look at the Lord's Prayer. Prayer is about seeking God's ways and God's provision. God's ways and God's provision. So reread the Lord's Prayer here, which I'm sure you're familiar with, but I'll read it anyways. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Now, Please notice here, as we take a step back and even think about our whole series, notice what Jesus is doing here. He is teaching his disciples how to pray. Why is Jesus doing that? Because prayer was really important to him. And he said, it's important to me, and I want it to be important to you, therefore I want to teach you how to do it right. That's what we're to do. That's a great model of discipleship. We walk with God, we figure out what's important, and then we pass that on to other people. So what is it that Jesus taught his disciples to pray? Well, I want to look at this Lord's Prayer in two parts here. The first part of the Lord's Prayer teaches us to want what God wants. And one of the first things that we should want is we should desire that God's name be honored as holy, that God's name be hallowed. That's what that means. Hallowed means honored or made holy. We should desire that God's name be magnified. It's human nature for us to want our name to be made more famous but we should really desire that God's name be made. Remember that song, The Famous One? You are the famous one. uh, We want God's name to be honored. Then the next part, your kingdom come, your will be done. I love this part of the prayer. This is where we say to God, I want what you want. I don't want to pursue my own kingdom, God. I don't want to pretend that I'm king anymore. I want to enter into your kingdom and submit to you as king. I don't want my will to be done, God. Even though there's a part of me that does want my will to be done, we go before God and say, God, I want what you want. Your will be done. Our struggle here on earth is that we think that we have a right to live our lives the way that we want to live them. And I hope you're honest enough with yourselves to realize that even as Christians, we still struggle with that. That we still struggle with pretending that we are the captain of our own ship but we are not to pretend that we have authority over our lives. God does. So this prayer reminds us to submit ourselves to God and say, God, your will be done. (laughs) 
This is what it means to know Jesus as Lord. When, when we receive him as Lord, we receive him as the one who has authority. He, he has that authority. We don't, make him, we don't make him Lord. But to receive him is to recognize that he has the rightful place as king in our lives and we are to submit to him. So when we pray for God's will to be done, really what we're praying for is that we would be closer disciples of Christ and that God would use us to help others be disciples as well. That's God's will. We're praying for it to be done. We're giving ourselves to him for his purposes. So the Lord's Prayer is a very useful prayer for those of us that want to be disciples and make disciples. And that's one of the reasons that I pray this prayer every day. One of the first things that I do when I wake up in the morning is I pray the Lord's Prayer. And I I realize that the danger in that is that it would enter into the vain repetitions category that I wouldn't be meaning, especially first thing in the morning. It's maybe hard for my mind to get going. But nevertheless, I've, I've committed to saying this prayer every morning, one of the first things I do, because I want to go before God and say, God, here I am, use me. It's your will today, not my will. I may have woken up this morning with some things that I want to do, but I commit to you now, God, that I want your will to be done. So I I encourage you to to do that, to say this as a heartfelt prayer every day. And I especially like to focus on that part, your kingdom come, your will be done. And, And notice how Jesus modeled this part of the prayer in Gethsemane. He knew that he was about to head to the cross. And remember, he was a human being. He was 100% God, but also 100% man. And as a man, he didn't want to die on that cross. So he prayed to the Father, Father, if it's possible, take this from me. But then what did he say? Not my will, but yours be done. And in fact, in Matthew, he records it as using the exact same words in Gethsemane as he taught the people in the Lord's Prayer. Your will be done. We might think that it was easy here for Jesus, you know, standing on the mount, all these people around just listening to him. It's easy then to say, to teach people to say, God, your will be done. But Jesus modeled it for us. When he was about to die, he humbled himself to the point where he said, okay, God, your will be done. What what a wonderful lesson for us. And I hope that that's our heart attitude as we follow the Lord as well. Okay, moving on to the second part of the Lord's Prayer then. This part reminds us that we depend on God for our physical and spiritual needs. We rely on God, not ourselves. So the part where we say, give us today our daily bread, we're asking God to provide. In the Western world, we're pretty affluent here, and we might feel like we're able to provide for ourselves. But really, we depend on God for every breath we take. Every morsel of food comes from Him. And this prayer reminds us of that. And then in verse 12, we ask that God would forgive us. And this is really our deepest spiritual need, to be saved from our sins. The word that Matthew uses here is debt. It's it's a word that reminds us that our sin has earned something for us that we could never repay. It's earned a penalty that we could never repay. So we have to go then to Jesus, looking at the cross and realizing that it was on the cross that Jesus paid for our sin. There's no other way around that penalty. We ask him for forgiveness. But this prayer, I think, is more than just looking back to the cross. It's also looking at our lives every day, understanding that we sin more than we should. And that when we're asking God to forgive us, that 
Really, any time we get convicted of a sin, we should go to God and ask for his forgiveness, ask for his cleansing, ask for his strength to go in the right direction. Because on our own, we are no match for sin or for Satan. And that's why it goes on to say, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. We need God's strength in temptation. And I I think, don't get confused by the wording here. I, I think what it's saying here is that temptations are going to come But when we face them, we pray for strength. We pray that our faith wouldn't fail in the midst of them. And then that last phrase, deliver us from evil, or it could be translated, deliver us from the evil one. Either way, we're we're asking for God's help because we're not stronger than Satan on our own. We need his help. And then just a quick note, you might wonder, where's the part where it says, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever, amen? That part probably isn't actually part of the original scriptural prayer here. Just, just so you know that. Both here and in Luke, it's probably just not there. Although I do think it's a very fine way to end this prayer. There's other parts of scripture that sound almost exactly like that. So I don't think that we need to cut that part out of the Lord's Prayer as we recite it. But just so you know, that's, that's the way it goes here. Okay, application question. Do you pray like this? I'm not asking you if you repeat the Lord's Prayer daily. I'm asking you, in general, do your prayers sound like this? Do your prayers, are they filled with you saying to God, your will be done? Or are your prayers filled with your will? Asking God to give you what you want. Last year at this time, I was going through a sermon series on prayer. And my point in that sermon series is that we should be praying what Scripture teaches us to pray. Because we want... God's will. How do we know God's will? The Bible reveals it to us. So I, I want to repeat the, the theme of that sermon series again here and say that one of the ways that we can be sure that we're praying for God's will is by praying what Scripture says. And Jesus here teaches us, your will be done. It's a, a prayer that we should pray, but it's also a mindset that we need to keep with us throughout our days. God, your will, not mine, your will be done. Okay, let's move on to point number four here. Forgiveness is vital to our prayer life. Forgiveness is vital to our prayer life. Verses 14 and 15. For if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Now to me, the the point of these verses is pretty clear. We who have been forgiven should also forgive. One thing that we must not misunderstand, though, is that we don't earn our salvation by forgiving others. You could read those verses in that way to say, well, okay, if I want to be forgiven by God, then I I need to earn that forgiveness by forgiving other people. I, I don't think that's how we should be reading it, though. Our salvation is given to us by grace through faith. Grace alone, Christ alone, faith alone. Those three wonderful alones which sometimes I wonder, how can they all be alone if there's three of them? But that's the way it works. By grace alone, through Christ alone, by faith alone. If we have been forgiven by God, we should forgive others. We can't save other people, but we can forgive them. Now, we know God to be merciful, right? Think about that. Think of the many, many, many sins that you have committed against God We know that he's forgiven us, right? In his mercy, he loves us. He washes those sins away, separates us as far as the east is from the west from our sins. 
we know he's done that for us, shouldn't we then give that same mercy to others? If our eternal life depends on the mercy of God, who are we then to deny that mercy to others? So I think what these verses are saying is that if we are unwilling to forgive others, we don't understand forgiveness. And I'll go a step farther. If we are unwilling to forgive others, it calls our salvation into question. If you and your mountain of sins before God, if you think that you're forgiven by God, yet somebody offends you and you say, no, you know what, I'm going to hold on to that one. Makes me question if you have understood forgiveness at all. So think about that as a heart check for you. How willing are you to forgive other people? Forgiveness is a way that we show humility before God. If we're wronged by others, we need to train ourselves to say, that's okay. I can forgive because God can take care of it. And our lives will not be enhanced by the holding of grudges. Maybe some of you do that. Maybe it's in your family history to hold grudges. There are some people out there that it's really difficult to forgive. But we need to be forgiving. God forgives us. We should forgive other people. Proud people don't forgive. There's been a verse that's been running through my mind a lot. I think I've said it here recently, but it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Proud people don't forgive. Proud people hold on to those wrongs that are committed against them. Humble people are willing to let it go into God's hands and say, I forgive. And if we don't forgive others, it will hinder our prayer lives. Psalm 66:18 says, If I had cherished sin in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. We need to go before God humbly with this, forgiving others. Otherwise, our prayers won't be heard. So the application here, is there anyone you're not forgiving? Are you holding a grudge against anyone? The main reason that we pray is so that we can become more like Jesus. Jesus came to forgive. So should we. That leads me into my big idea. Prayer is us lining ourselves up with God's will and becoming more like Christ. That's why we pray. Because we want to line ourselves up with God's will. Saying, okay God, it's your way, not mine. And we want to become more like Christ. That's God's goal in our lives. Prayer was important to Jesus. It should be important to us too. Prayer was one of the tools that Jesus used to help others follow him. We should be teaching others to pray so they can follow Jesus. Disciples obey what Jesus commands. And they teach others to obey too. So again, the point of prayer is that we would become more like Christ, that our hearts would be changed. Now, yes, sometimes God does change the circumstances as we pray. And I was thinking about that this week. What are the biggest answers to prayer that I've ever seen? I want to tell you one circumstance that God changed once. I went on a summer mission trip with Campus Crusade for Christ one summer when I was a student. And uh, about five months after our, our project, we had a reunion. We all went down to Missouri and, and got together again. In the course of that five months, we learned that one of the students that had gone with us on the summer project got cancer. Now, this cancer story goes a lot better than the one I talked about a couple weeks ago. We decided that we were going to pray for this girl. She had two lumps of cancer in between her eyes and her brain. And uh, we just said, we're going to lay hands on you and pray for you. 
and, and I don't know uh, I, I don't know where my faith was at there I don't know if I was expecting God to do anything um, but pretty much right away after we prayed her cancer was taken away she went back to the doctor and the doctor was like where is it? it's gone now I'm not going to say it was our prayers or my prayers that did that but I will say that God changed those circumstances and I believe that he did that through prayer and that's, that's an amazing, that's one of those, yes, God, thank you for doing that. was awesome. I love it when you do things like that, God. And we all want more of those things in our lives, don't we? But then I was thinking, you know what, that was awesome. But it's also awesome when God changes my heart. It's also awesome when I come before God with something that I'm struggling with and I say, God, this is difficult. Would you help me? And he does. One of the biggest victories that we can have in prayer is when God changes our hearts so that we become more like Christ. And I want you to know that that is why we pray. Yeah, sometimes God will change the circumstances, but we pray so that we become more like Christ and so that others become more like Christ too. Maybe God doesn't want to heal that person that you've been praying for. Maybe he has something else in mind, something better than a physical healing. Prayer helps us realize how much we need God. It teaches us to want what He wants. And Jesus' teaching on prayer in Matthew 6 helps us to have a right attitude. So I want to just ask you some questions here about your attitude in prayer. Do you see the benefit of persevering in prayer? Or have you just kind of given up, whether consciously or subconsciously? Have you stopped praying? Do you make time to seek God in secret? Do you value that time alone with God where you get to be in His presence and He changes your heart? Are you trying to impress God or others in prayer with the words that you use? Are you trying to impress people? We shouldn't. Are you humbly coming before God to let Him know that you want what He wants? Or if you don't want what he wants, are you willing to be changed and tell him, okay, God, change me, but I want what you want. Do you rely on God or on yourself for your physical and spiritual needs? And then finally, are you extending forgiveness to others or do you hold on to grudges? The answers to all of these questions can be found in prayer. As we humbly submit ourselves to God, as he changes our hearts. And by the way, we can all do this kind of prayer. This kind of prayer isn't just for the spiritual elite. It's not just for those monks who have 14 hours a day to pray. This is stuff that we can all be doing, stealing away for quiet moments and talking to God, letting him change our hearts. We can all pray, we should all pray, and we should be teaching others to pray as well so we can meet with God and become more like Christ and submit to his will. Would you pray with me? And actually, I, I'm going to pray, and I'd like for us just to close by saying the Lord's Prayer. So why don't you stand as we pray, and then I'll lead you into the Lord's Prayer at the end. Father, thank you that you work in our lives, that you lead us, that you want to change our heart. Thank you that you hear our prayers. Lord, I pray that our hearts would be right, that there wouldn't be anything that would hinder our prayers, that we would come humbly and honestly and and with sincere hearts before you. And as we do that, Lord, would you change us? Would you make us more like Christ? 
May it be your will that is done in our lives. And may we rejoice when you lead us in the ways that you want to. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen.